Well, hey, money lover, do you wish you had a do this next guide with the exact steps for building wealth? Because you can. It's called the seven steps to wealth, and it contains a proven framework and actionable plan to build your confidence and grow your wealth. It starts with step one decide. Decide to take action today by grabbing your free guide at hendershotwealth.com forward slash seven steps. That's hendershot with two T's wealth.com forward slash seven steps. The only cost is what you could lose by not taking control of your financial future. Welcome to the Love Your Money podcast with me, Hillary Hendershot. I'm a wife, mother, certified financial planner, profit first certified professional, and a successful business owner. This show is all about teaching you the methods, models, and mindsets of the truly wealthy. On Love Your Money, we talk about everything to do with your money, including how to improve your relationship to money, how to understand investing, and even how to create more profits in your business. Together, we can turn failure into freedom, fear into love, and dollars into millions. You ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to Love Your Money with me, Hillary Hendershot. Today, I have an exciting, exciting guest. His name is Tim, and he is a tax professional. So today's episode is a compliment to last week's episode where I talked about how to understand your tax preparation and filing as a business owner. Today, Tim and I are going to continue on that same topic. Tim, just to give you a little background about him, took a unique path to becoming a tax strategist after a 15-year career in manufacturing and operations with Fortune 100 companies and even a small family-owned business. He noticed everyone seemed afraid of taxes. Maybe you resonate with that. He shifted to public accounting to blend his operational expertise with tax skills to help small business owners. By understanding his clients' true goals, he creates comprehensive plans that reveal and diffuse tax landmines. Wow, we're going to find out more about those. And his motto is, no April surprises. Some people have April showers, May flowers. You have no April surprises. Tim works with clients year-round to confidently minimize surprises and taxes through proactive planning and education. Welcome to Love Your Money, Tim. Hey, thanks for having me, Hillary. It's going to be great to be here. Kind of an oxymoron, though, to be exciting and have a tax prep. (laughs) That was kind of what I was getting at. Although, admittedly, I get excited about what's possible when you fill out the tax return right and you get it all done and you feel good when it's submitted and it's like, that's all done. I don't have to worry about that anymore. But you and I have one thing in common, and that's that we're both Profit First certified professionals. Absolutely. So what do you love about being a Profit First pro? You know, that's a great one. It was funny because... uh, I read that at the recommendation of a client of mine back in 2020 during COVID. And I noticed this client was killing it. And he had referred me to other competitor businesses that they're all franchise operations. Uh-huh. They weren't doing as well as he was. And I just said, Hey, you know, what's the deal here? And he said, Have you ever read Profit First? I said, No, I haven't. And he said that uh, somebody had told him about it and compared it to the Dave Ramsey envelope system for business. And he knew I had been the Dave Ramsey provider here in Dallas County moons ago. So I said, yeah, I'll pick it up. And I read it and I I told Mike, I said, the only thing that ticks me off is you wrote the book and I didn't because I've been trying (laughs) to do the same thing for clients, but I was doing it from the wrong direction. I was doing it like a customized solution for every person. Right. And his was just a simple structure. Yeah. That book changed my thinking, although I had already developed 
basically at the identical system for myself in my personal accounts years prior. And then I had a similar reaction when I read the book. I thought, man, I should have written this book. But (laughs) of course, Mike Michalowicz did it better than we would have, right? Right. And he tells funnier stories on his audio book. So, (laughs) well, (laughs) funnier stories than me. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, Tim, the biggest complaint I hear when people talk to me about their tax professional is, and I think people are really grappling with this right now is like, it's February, March or beginning of the year. I'm kind of regretting. I told myself last April and May that I would create some tax strategies. I would do my best over the course of the year, but my tax guy never told me what to do. I have no idea what I can deduct, what goes on, what card. I hear about things like the 179 deduction or the Augusta rule, but my guy never talks to me. So explain to my listeners why they have that complaint and what they can do about it. Well, A, they're not alone because that's pretty much the thing that we hear for every prospect we get across our door. The the industry traditionally just doesn't communicate. And I hate to put a boilerplate stamp on that, but we're not great communicators a lot of times. We're just great math magicians, you know, and try to make things stick. But that doesn't excuse it by any stretch. And that honestly is one of the reasons I got into the business is because it was a strengths finder, right? And I think that was the one that was out of 20 years ago when I took it. I'm a relater. So huh. I can relate with just about anybody. Relater was on my top five as well. Yeah. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. So I was a relater. So I can come down to the, the welder on the plant line. That's why I was in manufacturing all the way up to the boardrooms of the Fortune 100 companies and anywhere in between. And I can talk to somebody and try to relate to them. And so... What I think that people need is somebody that can relate with them. And I don't relate with everybody. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I don't try to be and don't claim to be. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times the, the stereotypes for the accountants being very, they can stare at their own shoes, but not yours. And that's how you know you have an extroverted accountant is they'll look at your <laughs> shoes instead of their own. I think that it runs rampant that's in bad. the industry. That's it's really, really bad. bad. <laughs> and so the last thing they want to do is communicate with people. Mm. They really want to hide behind screens or whatever. But at the, at the same time, there's also an old mentality in the business that I'm charging you for the preparation. You're you know, charging you this fee for the preparation of your return. You're using my expertise to know how to do things, obviously paying for software costs, labor costs, all those kinds of things. You're not really paying me for advice. You're paying me for a transaction. Mm-hmm. Not sure if I can say this here, but I used to joke that I felt like a hooker because I would see people once a year for one service and then they're gone. You can say that. That's funny. <laughs> like, if you need to cut that out, go ahead. But that's really what it, it's a very transactional business if all you're looking for is that tax return to get done. But honestly, and I'll tell you, I'm sure people say the same complaint about about our firm in that if they're not investing in the advisory piece of our firm, they're probably not going to get a whole lot of feedback. Yeah, we'll talk to them during tax prep time, but it's just like the scenario you laid out. Oh, I was going to do some stuff back in March or April, but my person never did a thing about it follow up well to the industry the fact that they had a passerby comment at the time they're reviewing your tax return with you was the advice (laughs) and Uh. if you want to execute on it and need help call us and we'll set up a (laughs) different arrangement for that well so how does that look for clients of your firm because yes the tax return costs x and the bill comes in april or october but if they want advice how do you charge for that how do they receive it what is the method of delivery So we've got a package I set up really because of this very common complaint that uh, it's just an advisory level package that says hey look included in that is your tax prep 
but we are forcing three meetings a year. We're going to meet you once around tax time because that's when it's freshest on your mind. And then we're going to meet and listen, that can vary from February 1 to October 14th for people. Okay. I prefer not to have the October 14 people. (laughs) FYI. I'm surprised you say yes to those. (laughs) (laughs) But it's why I have to disappear for a couple of weeks after October 15th. No, not really. But it really is. We meet with you then because you've, spent as much time as you can looking at last year. And once we've had somebody in our cycle for a couple of years, we don't have to spend much time looking backwards because the other two meetings that we have throughout the year are really looking either at the very present or definitely looking forward. I tell everybody we meet that once around tax time and then another time in the summer. And why? Because it's not a really good time for us to talk between February 1 and April 15. Mm-hmm. But give me a week or two to kind of get my wits back. And then May 1, we're going to start meeting with people. And we talk through talk with them all the way up through the end of June. And we have these hour-long meetings where we're exchanging information. We may take homework back from those and come up with some other ideas. A lot of times we're saying, hey, last year looked like this. How's this year looking? And where do you want to go with this? Are you thinking of selling the firm? Do you need to buy a house? You know, all the questions that need to get asked so that we can know how to position the taxes going forward. And then we do another one, kind of most firms do this one, I would say, but November, December timeframe, which traditionally has been, can I buy a new truck? But it really is, can I spend <laughs> we'll some money here at the end? why, yeah. <laughs> can I spend some money? You know, the old, I don't even have drawers on this desk, but you know, the guys that would put the checks in the drawers and not cash them and all that kind of stuff because they didn't want to have revenue at the end of the year, that kind of thing. <laughs> they got the greatest January on the planet. So, but yeah, the November, December thing is how much do I need to spend or how much do I need to pay myself? How much can I withhold? We do a little trick where we obviously run some big payroll checks at the end of the year to compensate for that tax bill. Remember, no April surprises. So we want to make sure that we've covered that tax bill as early as we can and in the cycle, but as late as we can in the year. And so that way, when April rolls around, it's not a surprise. And I just want to make sure I understand. I think I know what you mean when you say you run some big payrolls in November and December, but I'm Mm I'm definitely quotable as saying, don't spend money just to not pay taxes, but you're talking about paying the owner. We're talking about paying the owner and utilizing that to accomplish two things. Let's say we've got an S corp or a C corp and they've got to meet that reasonable compensation number. And maybe they haven't all year. They've just been taking money out as draws or whatever. We run that payroll. We've already kind of got a predetermined tax bill that we think they're facing. And we put that in and say, okay, well, at least, I mean, I may pay you a $100,000 payroll, but we're sending it all to the IRS Mm -hmm. as your tax payment. That's one element of it. It's usually not that simple. Usually we're taking a look at here's where the P&L is. What do you think December looks like? We plug it in. The other trick is we usually get our tax software around mid-November. And so we can literally play with real live data. It's not all final, but we can play with pretty live data and go, hey, we think it's coming in this way. What do you want to do about it? And it may not be that we pay the whole bill, pay the whole tax bill in December, but you're in control now. You know that if I only pay this much in, I'm going to owe this much in April potentially. And that just empowers people to do what they want to wisely. I had had one client that wanted to buy a million and a half dollars worth of inventory. And we just sat there and took a look at her numbers and said, yeah, you can do it. You can afford to do it because I think we've covered your tax bill. Oh, so at the end of the year, she's wondering, do I have enough left to buy a million and a half in inventory and pay my tax bill? Yeah, I think she was catching some good deals at the end of the year, you know, with reduced inventory costs. So that was what she was wanting to do. And that's the power of having good oversight of your money and not doing budgeting by bank account balance. Right. So 
Of course, in April at tax time, there's inevitably in my practice upsets about the tax bill. Of course, those people aren't working with you. But the converse of that is the number of people after working with us, and we have clients we're working with together, who for the first time have the cash in the bank to pay the tax bill. So it's not an upset. It's such a win for people. They feel so proud of themselves, right? It's like, I I knew what the bill... I knew what the bill was going to be. I paid it. It's done. I'm not in debt to the IRS, right? And it's like, I never want to try to sell people on that because they never come to us for that. Right. But it's it's inevitably a pat someone on the back on the shoulder and congratulate ourselves kind of a moment. So I know you like to contribute to that. So what should people be looking for in their tax preparer? There's a slew of acronyms and designations. And I also kind of a big thing I hear people say is I got to get my taxes into my bookkeeper. (laughs) That's good. I I really hear people call their tax person their bookkeeper. And I always call it tax preparer. So tell me, what do all those words mean? Well, I'll tell you, that's interesting you said that because I remember sitting in a a, a breakfast with a guy years and years ago and he said, hey, I'm on the phone right now. I'm a bookkeeper. And I thought, Wow, I don't think this is going to be a good fit. But there's this, there's a lot of people out there that they just don't know what a, what better to call them. I think right. There's definitely a difference between you know in our profession. There's definitely a difference between those levels of service. I think you know I've talked about, but the listeners don't know this. I steered my firm a much different direction than others. And as any startup firm, you take whatever business can fog a mirror, right? But as I grew, yeah, typically you do. And it's like, you know what? I really don't like this. I'm married to a school teacher. So she's off in the summer. And guess what? Tax time kind of happens the same time school's in. So if I want to disappear in the summer, I can. So I structured the firm around that. I don't disappear the whole summer. But structured the firm around that so that I could focus on taxes when it was time to do taxes. And when it's not time to do taxes, I can focus on tax law rather than catching up months worth of bookkeeping. Because that's what happens to a lot of small CPA firms is they're doing everything. Mike talks in one of his books about the double helix trap. You're either selling or doing, selling or doing in the small business world until we've scaled and have other people doing for us. Well, that's what I was doing. I was was either selling or I was doing taxes, selling or doing taxes. And, And when you add bookkeeping into that, I was either selling, doing taxes or doing books. But you have to tell people, what do you mean? What Tell people what the difference is between bookkeeping and taxes. So for the small business owner, it's literally the debits and credits or every check written, every deposit that came in. It's processing it and getting it into financial statements so that a tax preparer can do it. So that a banker can make a decision on whether or not to give you a loan. So that a business valuator can give you a business valuation. You've got to have good, strong books. So it's the person running your QuickBooks. Yes, pretty much. If, okay. if you're on QuickBooks, it's the person that's doing your QuickBooks transaction. And are there designations or licenses that are required for that? No. Okay. There's not. You know, there's a lot of people that call themselves bookkeepers and they're not all great. I'll tell yeah. you that. Just like there's a lot of people that are CPAs and they're not all great. Okay. So finding a good one is really important because they need to understand your business and understand traditionally where the debits and credits need to go. Okay, so a bookkeeper is very is separate from a tax preparer. It's possible, and in fact, it's common that tax preparers have bookkeeping in house. Absolutely, they do that. A lot of traditional firms do that. Uh, a lot of times, because they want that monthly recurring revenue, and and it's very important to them. And as the businesses scale, they can certainly do that. Like I said, I totally went off path, and I said, you know what? I want to be one of the best tax people I know. You know, so I'm going to go this direction, and I'm just going to study taxes when it's not tax season. Yeah. 
that's exactly the direction I chose because I don't want to be distracted by bookkeeping. Okay. I still have two or three legacy folks out there. The guy that introduced me to Profit First, I'm never going to get rid of the guy. He's going to have to get rid of me. <laughs> he <laughs> but, changed uh, your life. <laughs> he changed my life. Because when I was able to pay my taxes that year, I was like, wow, this thing works. See, so it works. <laughs> yeah, it works. So uh, yeah, but literally everything else is geared around tax and tax preparation and the occasional tax resolution. But that is the difference between that bookkeeper who is debits and credits oriented. I can't, you're a business major, right? Economics with an MBA. Economic. Okay. So somewhere in there, you took an accounting class and you oh, remember yes. the debits and credits and the, you know, the <laughs> T accounts and all that kind of stuff. That's what the bookkeepers are doing. The tax people are working then with the bookkeeper with a set of financial statements to create that tax return. Hey, money lover, it's Hillary. When I'm not behind the mic here, I'm running Hendershot Wealth Management, a fee-only fiduciary financial advisory firm that works with women and couples who want to take their finances to the next level. That fee-only part is important when it comes to financial advisors because it means there are no kickbacks or incentives built into the advice we give. We succeed only when you succeed. Listen, I've made all the money mistakes in the book, but I've taken myself from nearly $600,000 in debt to a seven-figure net worth, and that's what I want for you too. The wealth, not the debt. If you're ready for financial freedom, let's chat. All of our clients start with an initial no-obligation call, like a meet-cute. Not a formal meeting without a romantic relationship on the other side, just a potentially lucrative one. Your finances are your future, and who you partner with matters. So grab your coffee and let's get started at HendershotWealth.com forward slash contact. That's Hendershot with two T's, Wealth.com forward slash contact. And now back to the show. What are the designations that people should be aware of when looking for a tax person? In the U.S., CPA all the way is, that's the one that's recognized because it's AICPA has made itself a fixture in American business, I think. There are other designations. You'll see on mine that I've got a CTP, Certified Tax Planner. Okay. That's a lesser designation. It's not necessarily recognized you know, globally or anything as, oh, that that's a U.S. Certified Public Accountant when we say CPA. But CPA would be the one or... When it comes to tax prep, there's also an EA mm-hmm. that doesn't stand for executive assistant. It stands for enrolled agent. <laughs> and I will tell you, after having put some people in this office through EA training, it's no joke. Okay. They, yeah. a lot of times an EA will know more than a CPA does specific to tax because some CPAs aren't really geared towards tax. Some CPAs are geared towards audit or because CPAs do other stuff, right? CPAs do all kinds of stuff. Right. So uh, if you find an EA, that's great. If you find a CPA, that's great. Those are the two designations I'd look for. Okay. How can a business owner make themselves a great client for you? So they want minimal headache. They want to do the right things at the beginning of the year to get the right documents and paperwork to you. What's your best coaching? You don't have any clients that are listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sending this out to all of them. No, yeah, you should, you should, you should. That's right. How can someone make their tax life, someone who just doesn't want to get involved, they don't really understand it, they trust you, how can they be your best client? Well, so let's go down that business path. If they have a bookkeeper, but they don't want the bookkeeper doing the taxes, right? So the bookkeeper isn't affiliated with the tax firm. Mm-hmm. Make the introduction. Let us work with them. And because we have a lot of those relationships, thankfully, because of Profit First, we have a lot of those relationships built up with bookkeepers nationwide that we'll talk to you, the bookkeeper, 
to get all the detailed stuff, the stuff that makes the business owner's eyes roll in their head. And we'll involve that business owner as much as they want to be involved. Usually they don't want to be involved a lot, but we have a couple that they want to be super involved. They want to be copied on every communication. We're not talking about anybody's back. We're just using accounting jargon right. because it's how we know how to talk. And then right. that preparedness, making sure that that bookkeeper or those sets of books are ready to go come tax time. That's the biggest thing. You march in here on March 10th for a March 15th deadline, and I'm going to tell you, it's going to be an extension. In fact, if you march in here on March 1st, it's probably going to be an extension right? because we're not going to get it done. So I think understanding, number one, the, the matriculations of CPAs are they don't come out of college being CPAs, but the matriculations of people with accounting degrees that are pursuing CPA has gone way down. People in our shoes that have that designation are uh, a lot of times retiring out. It's an aging out things. And this is how you and I met. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You were, that's right. You were, I was hurting trying to find a good tax person. (laughs) That's right. So uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And so it's definitely a a dwindling uh, industry. And listen, the the idea that AI is going to take over tax returns anytime soon is, is really, uh, I think it's a long ways out there. Will it happen by the time I die? Probably. Maybe. Maybe. So far, it looks like in my business, AI is making us better at what we do. Yeah. It makes me a better financial advisor, right? (laughs) I've used AI to ask it particular tax questions occasionally and not necessarily trying to trip it up, but I want to see what's out there. And sure enough, you'll get something that is just flat out not right. Yeah. And you have to know that it's not right. And you, even if it gives you an accurate answer, you have to know how to apply and use that answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gosh, I forgot what question that was. How how can someone be a great client for you? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Don't talk about AI in the middle of your sentence. (laughs) Just kidding. Are we going to cut that part out too? No kidding. (laughs) No. Uh, (laughs) By the way, I would like for them to have a sense of humor. That would work a lot for me because uh, in in this business, it's very difficult. But I mean, I think most of the work is gathering information for you in the beginning of the year, all the various 1099s and documentation of income and all that, right? Yeah. And one of the things that we will set up with people is like, look, if you're the type of person that wants to send me a document every time you receive one, we want you to rest assured that we're not going to touch your tax return until we know we have everything because Mm -hmm. of efficiencies, right? The time spent just opening a tax return is ridiculous for everyone. But there's some people who go, I don't want to get this so you can get started. We're not getting started until we're mostly complete. Now, do we hold off waiting on that last K-1 to come in? No. I mean, we've got some pretty extensive tax returns that have a lot of stuff going on, and we just kind of hope that, well, in the process of this, maybe that K-1 will come in. But if it doesn't, then we can come back and do that one or two things at the very end. Right. Totally fine. That's not a big deal. But we'd really like to have as complete of a file as we can up front. That doesn't mean that we're not going to ask questions. And this is another thing I want everybody to understand. And I think it must exist out there for how many times I get asked or We'll just say that I get asked this question is like, will I have a chance to review my tax return before you file it? Going, man, who files returns without going over? You know, I I just, I can't even imagine that that happens out there, but apparently it does. Maybe that's an H&R block thing. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. I don't know. I've heard it from people and that they, they come in and they go, well, will I have a chance to look at it before you file it? Yes. We're going to need you to look at it quickly. We're going to need you to respond to us, especially if we're coming up against the deadline. We don't have to file it. On March 5th, if we have it done by March 5th, we can hold it till April 15th if you want us to, but don't wait till April 15th to review it. Right. And so it's really that communicate back with us when we're trying to communicate with you, because that can be a two-way street for sure. I know accountants don't communicate well, but we need people to communicate back with us pretty quick so we can put stuff to rest. 
It just doesn't make sense to me to hire financial professionals and then not respond to them. Right. It's like, right, right. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm trying to help you solve your problem that you hired me to solve. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So yeah, scarcity makes the heart grow fonder or something like that, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, but having a complete file or as complete as possible when they come on. And listen, some people operate that way. They want to be able to pop one thing at a time. We designed our system for them to be able to do that. And we just have a little button that they've got to press to say, okay, I'm ready. And when they hit that button, the bells and whistles go off here and streamers start flying around. And we're like, okay, wow. let's get to work on Hillary's. It's really not streamers, just in case <laughs> you thought I was real. <laughs> no, I'm quite sure you're not a Washington streamers by April 15th. Right. Talk to me about the other day I was watching an, a social media, an Instagram <laughs> reel or something. And this person says on social media, I feel sorry for other business owners who talk about paying taxes when I have five legal entities set up to pay taxes and one is just a tax shelter. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, what you just said makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Second of all, you just said that on social media. You think the IRS doesn't have Instagram? (laughs) Right. Right? Bullseye on that guy's picture. Right. But, If I turn the tables a little bit, because I'm an expert in personal finance, but I'm not an expert, for example, in marketing. I'm good at marketing, but I'm not an expert. And I can't tell you the number of rabbit holes I've gone down because someone that I think I trust says something on social media, produced a result for them that I want for myself. Then I'm like, everyone wheels off the bus. Everyone stop what you're doing to my team, right? We're now doing this launch method. And they're like, oh God, not again. And it turns out to be a, a huge waste of time. So I know in the case of the social media tax post that I just mentioned, to you that that's nonsense. So I know that that person is not only not probably doing an accurate return and putting themselves at risk of an audit, but the people listening probably don't. What's the worst tax advice you've heard on social media? Oh my gosh. Or just top three. I'll tell you the thing that I think is the most upsetting because it is so rampant out there is there's a lot of people that will push S-corp status in the social media blasts. All the time. Yep. All the time. Oh, uh, If you're not an S-corp, the wealthy know. The wealthy are born into an S-corp. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, okay, time out. Because S-corps are good at a certain level. I mean, I've got several. I, I love the structure of it. Right. But it's not necessarily several clients, not several myself. We had a bunch I'm of glad you clarified S-corps. that. I was yeah, like, do you uh, really? <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> so, uh, no, but it literally... It serves a certain spot. There's a sweet spot for S-Corps, for sure. When Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passed, we had to like, dust off our manuals for C-Corps again, because all of a sudden, that could make some sense. But right. the advice out there that everything you do should be an S-Corp, I will not advise somebody to put anything into an S-Corp unless it makes sense for them to do it. I had a startup in here one year, and you know, I kind of breathe a big sigh when I get a startup, because most of the time, the startups are underfunded. They don't have a lot going on and good luck making any money. Somebody told me I should be an S-Corp. What do you think I should do? And I'd say, well, let's wait until you're putting 80 to 100K on the bottom line and then we'll talk about it. Right. I know. I love it when people want to go form the LLC before they have any income. <laughs> can we do that S election right now? It's like, can we just time out? Because ethically, <laughs> I'm going to at least fee you for an extra S-Corp, you know, for an extra return that's not needed. And you need to be clearing that payroll tax savings just enough to pay for at least that and some other administrative costs you're going to have. Now, can we make some money on the S? Absolutely. 
by saving taxes. But until you're at that point, it doesn't matter. Well, this guy comes in and I think he was, I mean, he was wanting to do the same thing. And I was like, okay, are you sure about this? Because what? Dude's first year was four million top line. I had zero idea this was going to happen. And we had done his S election because he demanded it, not because I thought anything about it. And his business plan didn't, he blew out his business plan. He thought he was going to do a million, million and a half. He did four. So that's a is good there a place for to it? have. Yeah, it was a great problem to have. And the first time <laughs> I'd ever seen it in my life in my business, this was seven or eight years ago. So there's a place, a time and place for all of it, but don't do it just because you read it on social media. Ask questions. And mm-hmm. if you don't understand what the savings are, don't do it. It's just like anything else in life. Don't don't do an investment you don't understand. Don't take a tax position that you don't understand. Understand it and then do it. Agree, agree, agree. Okay, last question. And if you don't have any, I understand, but everyone is really curious about tax audits. So I told people in the last week's episode (laughs) how you get to a tax audit, which is you file a return that the IRS doesn't like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you have any juicy audit stories since you've seen the inside of a few of them? I will tell you the one that, that I loved the most when they came around is actually my mentor for years. I always had great income. And your tax mentor got audited? No, not my tax mentor. My oh. my business mentor, my life oh. mentor, really almost. Oh, but okay. I met this guy in the 90s. And uh, so I'm thinking to myself, don't send him a copy of this podcast. Anyway, just kidding. So he was always making pretty good money. He, ran, he was in the car business, owned a few dealerships and that kind of thing, always made pretty good money. But his wife, who I loved to death, had had some issues with cancer and that kind of thing. And so their medical bills would always be pretty high. And Mm. for those that don't know, medical can be very hard to claim. Everybody's talking about, hey, can I write off my whatever? And it's something medical. And, you know, God forbid, yeah, God forbid you can write it off because it has to clear 7.5% of your adjusted gross income before the first dollar can even help you on your itemized deductions page, okay? Well, they'd spent sixty or 70000 one year on on medical, and I don't know what his top line was, but let's say it was a couple million bucks. I have no idea. Just going off, <laughs> pulling one out. There's no way he qualifies. 7.5% of that, no way he qualifies. Next year, he has an off year. K-1s are negative. Oh, so did he try to move the expenses? No, no, he didn't move the expenses. She had two or three years worth of cancer treatments. The okay. same $60,000, okay? Um, and they audited him on that second year, saying that they didn't agree with his medical expenses. Like, what are you talking about? Did you look at last year's? Because there were 60 on last year, too. Right. And so I went through the process with them and I said, okay, they've called us in for what they called the, it was an examination here locally in Dallas. And I said, listen, I want to document every bit of this. And they went to work, got me doctor's bills, pharmacies, any hospital stay. They got the whole list, everything that was out of pocket. We scheduled it. I learned this from uh, the guy who taught me how to be a practicing CPA. We documented, like, I assume lawyers document stuff. We had binders full of stuff, everything tabbed out. We said, this is tied to this number. This is tied to that number. This is tied to that number. I walked oh into what was supposed to be a it must two. Have oh, taken man. you so long. Oh, it did. But you know what? So I go in and we had found out that we had missed a few expenses, like another 10000 or so once we did all the digging. Oh. It's like, oh, you know what? There was that. There was that. There was we, that. we actually want more back. Yeah, exactly. So I walked in. <laughs> I handed on the binder. What was supposed to be a two-hour examination, I was done in 10 minutes. And she said, I wish all your CPAs were this organized. I was like, thank God I learned my lesson from somebody who'd done it before. 
And I said, they're willing to say we're not going to amend for that extra 10000 of medical. You got to drop the stuff. She said, I will send you a no-finding letter in a matter of a couple of days. And sure enough, within two or three days, no-finding letter. That's not juicy, but I'm going to tell you, if you get an audit notice, number one, they've probably been trying to find you for a while, so don't ignore the letters when you get them. <laughs> but when they do an examination, just make sure you can back it up. If you can't back it up, don't put stuff on there for deductions Very good. because they will come. And that backs up exactly what I said in last week's episode. So thank you very much. So finally, uh, the last thing I'd like to do in our conversation today is introduce the beautiful guest oh, yeah. who's actually behind you on the wall because people, I'm sure, are wondering, who is this amazing woman <laughs> whose <laughs> yeah. face is almost as big as the host's? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big picture. I had it blown up. Tell us about Shelby. <laughs> uh, she's awesome. She is the love of my life. And uh, toot her horn a little bit. Last year, she won a, a big prize that we're paying taxes on this year for the being <laughs> being one of the top three teachers in the united states so we, she got recognized we got to go to hawaii and we had a great time wasn't she on good morning america oh yep she was on good morning america <laughs> See, i've been trying to get there for years shelby just did it <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it was gma3 but you know i'm not gonna take that away from her <laughs> but, just, but no yeah she's fantastic and uh, great with kids the contest was called teach the love and i mean you've met her and you saw saw she her in action the love. She yes. teaches the love. She doesn't worry about science nearly as much as she does about loving on those kids. So that really helps. <laughs> Cute. Well, thanks for being on the show and give Shelby my best. We'll do it. Thank you. How can people reach you if they want to find out more? Oh, gosh. Let's see. The easiest one is timthompsoncpa.com. Okay. Uh, on our website there, you can just come in. There's a spot up there. I think it says, I want Tim to do my taxes or something like that. They can click on that. Tim Thompson in Texas does taxes. Tim Thompson in Texas. <laughs> no, let's just make it a little bit more. Maybe and I'll move. We will, <laughs> we'll put all of your links in the show notes for today's episode so people can reach out and find all the places where you are. Okay? Okay, great. That sounds all great. Right. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Okay. As we wrap up today's conversation, I do need to review the legal stuff I need to disclose as a fiduciary financial advisor offering wealth management services through my company, Hendershot Wealth Management, LLC. The opinions expressed on Love Your Money are my own and they can change. The content I provide for the show is for general education and it's not intended as specific investment advice, nor do I recommend any specific financial products. I can't guarantee that my statements, opinions, or forecasts are always 100% right? Of course, I wish I could peek into that proverbial crystal ball, but so far I haven't found it. As you know, past performance is not indicative of future results. I do talk a lot about indexes and I want you to know that you can't actually buy an index because of course, when you take a list of companies and create a product that allows people to invest in those companies, there are fees and expenses involved that reduce returns. Remember, all investing involves risk, which as you know, means you could lose your money. And I have to tell you that there is no guarantee that any investment plan or strategy, including my own, will be successful. And that should keep my lawyers happy. 